0: Hello friends, greetings in Jesus name. Welcome to Bangalore Revival Center. Today Pastor Preji is starting a series titled Thy Kingdom Come. Enjoy this word from the Lord. Title This series is Thy Kingdom Come. Everybody say Thy Kingdom Come. come. This is in Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus taught his people to pray can we read it together? Amazing. Let's go. One, two, three, go. May your kingdom come soon and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a prayer that Jesus asked his disciples to pray. Jesus told them to desire for it, to hunger for it, to pray for it, to uh, yearn for it, to make that your confession, make that your declaration. Let your kingdom come. May your kingdom come and may it come soon. See, you should understand that our prayers and our desire for his coming also has an impact on his coming. Because when we say, may your kingdom come soon, there are things that are put into place so that his kingdom can come soon. See, it's not like God has decided a date. God knows when Jesus, the Father knows when Jesus will return. And it, but it's not like, you know, God is just waiting for that date to come. It's also that there are things that has to fall into place before Jesus comes. And when we pray this prayer saying, may your kingdom come soon, those things are falling into alignment. Those things are, there are things that are being shifted and changed so that his kingdom can come, his kingdom can be established upon the earth, amen? When Jesus started his earthly ministry, his first sermon was about the kingdom of God. He began to preach in Matthew chapter four, we, we read this, Uh, In Matthew chapter 4, repent for the kingdom of, uh, this is in Matthew chapter 4 verse 17, it says, from then on Jesus began to preach saying, repent of your sins and turn to God. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is near. Not only did Jesus ask them to pray for it, Jesus asked them to prepare for it. And how did Jesus ask them to prepare for it? By repenting of their sins and turning to God. By repenting of their way of living, repenting of their lifestyles and turning their lives back to living for God's purposes, living for God's agenda here on earth. And he said, this is why you should repent. This is why you should turn to God because the kingdom of heaven is here, is near, it is about to come. Now, you should understand there is a, there is a physical kingdom of heaven that is going to be established on the earth. And no matter how much we try to spiritualize everything, there is definitely a, a physical kingdom to it. You know, we Take all the scriptures that Jesus spoke about kingdom, and we just minimize it to just speaking about our lives, our community, our church, and what we are doing within the four walls of the church, saying this is the kingdom of God. Yes, he has rulership, he has authority, he is the king in his house. That's definitely there. However, there is a literal physical kingdom that Jesus did imply in all of his teachings. That is why the disciples didn't have a doubt about it. After three and a half years of walking with Jesus, they were still expecting for that kingdom to manifest here on the earth. Let's go to the book of Acts chapter one. This is when the disciples have just seen the the glory. Uh, Acts chapter one and verse six. It says, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, Has the time come for you to free Israel and to restore restore our kingdom? Has the time come? When these guys were asking Jesus, has the time arrived for the kingdom? It means that Jesus did teach about this kingdom during the previous three years. All through the three years, everything that Jesus taught them about the kingdom—when Jesus said you need to repent, when Jesus said you need to turn to God, when Jesus said you need to change how you live your life—he was talking not just about a spiritual kingdom. He was talking about a physical kingdom where Jesus will return uh, as as King of the whole nation of Israel. And you know, is it now that? the kingdom will be restored to the nation of Israel. The kingdom of God, the headquarters is going to be from the the physical kingdom of God. The headquarters is going to be in Israel. It is going to be a nation uh, that will have its capital in, in Jerusalem, literally, physically, that will be the state of that kingdom. And the Bible says that the disciples, the apostles, they wanted to understand when will this happen. How will this happen? We want to know now that you, know, you have done the most impossible thing that humanity has seen, that you have risen from the dead, now that you can walk through closed doors, you know, now that you're in your glorified form, is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You know? So it's very normal for us to have an experience, an encounter with the glorified Jesus and think that this is heaven, and think that, okay, we have arrived, and think that this is it, and that's the same mistake the apostles made. Now, do we need encounters with the glorified Jesus? Yes, Yes, we do. Do we need to experience him every time we gather, every time we fellowship? Do we need to have a tangible manifestation of this Jesus? Yes, we do, and yet we cannot expect or limit the the dominion of this kingdom to the four walls of our experiences and our encounters. It's a a kingdom that spreads uh, to the length and the breadth of this whole world. Jesus replied to them saying, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. He has the authority and he will set those dates and times. But the Bible says, they are not for you to know. Jesus has been very clear about this during his teaching. All through the time, he would keep telling them, hey guys, the times and the dates are not for you to know. The times and the dates are not for you to predict. The times and the dates are not for you to decide. The times and the dates are not for you to be worried about. That is the father's job. At one point, Jesus, in fact, say, said, even the son does not know when that day is gonna be. It is the father who decides and it's the father who declares, okay, now it is time, this is the time, this is the moment I was waiting for, this is the fullness of time. The father says, go, and then the kingdom comes. Amen? See, when we, when we talk about the Lord's coming, we just focus on the fact that oh wait, Jesus is coming to take the church. What we don't focus on is that whenever Jesus did speak about you know, his coming, he always connected it to the coming of a kingdom. Because the first time that Jesus came, he came to prepare the, 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 his, his cabinet ministers for his future kingdom. So what we are doing here on this earth right now is that we are preparing to rule and reign with this Jesus when he comes. But, but here, Jesus is saying, what you need to be focusing on is the process of preparation. What you need to be f- focusing on is how you can repent, how your lives can align, how you can set your uh, gaze, your attention on things that are important, so that when I return, when the kingdom comes, when the kingdom is being established, you are ready to rule and reign with me. The the dates and the times, that's for the Lord. That's for the Father to decide. But then he turns to you and says, but this is what you need to do. You, you are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And what will you do? You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Where? In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, Jesus is telling his disciples, this is how you'll prepare. This is how you'll set yourself up for that kingdom. This is what you need to do in anticipation for that kingdom. This is what is going to usher in the kingdom. The dates and the times is not for you to decide. But I'll tell you what is for you to do, what is for you to accomplish. It is that you have to allow this power that the Holy Spirit is going to fill you with to... Transform you into a witness of this Jesus, uh, where in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Another place Jesus said, That day will not come until the gospel is preached unto the ends of the earth. So, what is our job today? To be filled in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues 24 hours a day? No. If we are just doing that, then we are. a a church that is not anticipating the kingdom of God. We are not a church that is expecting Jesus to return. See, as much as we need the presence of the Holy Spirit to walk with God, it is not just meant for us to walk with God. It is also meant for us to now represent God in the world around us. It says now, you will be my witnesses. Now you will go and tell people about me everywhere. Now you're going to talk about the stories, the experiences that you've had with me. So when, when we talk about a church that is like shut up within the four walls of the church and are waiting eagerly for Jesus to return. You know, there are many people who have done that. They have predicted the time and the date and they have climbed up a mountain. Hoping that when Jesus returns, they will be the first to be caught up. I mean, I'm telling you, people have done very stupid things. Really, you know, you can just Google about this. You know, they have, they, as recent as 2020, I think it was 2012, 2011. We, we are focusing on the wrong things, church. When the Bible says you need to be focusing on this, you need to become my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. If we, if we are just so self-obsessed and we just get stuck with, within the thing that, oh, we are, a, you know, we are so happy Jesus is coming back and we forget that you know, there is a world out there that also is going to witness this Jesus. His first coming was not for everybody. Because in his first coming, you would see that he hid himself. He intentionally told his disciples, guys, don't tell everybody. Come on, why would he tell that? If, he, if his intention was to come and conquer a kingdom, why would he say that? Like, if, if my intention is to stand for the elections in the year 2035, let's say, I'm not going to go and publish it everywhere. I'm going to go to key people in the uh, the marketplace, key politicians, and I'm going to try and gather my support. I'm going to build my team before I finally announce that, yeah, I'm standing for elections, before I make myself public. And that's what Jesus came for. He came to get his team ready to rule and reign with him. And that's why he intentionally hid himself. He intentionally did not allow people to know who he was. There was one point where his brothers, you know how siblings can be sometimes irritating. <laughs> if your sibling is here, don't smile at them, don't look at them, it's okay, I understand. The Bible says in John chapter 7, in fact, the siblings of Jesus, they didn't believe Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, and it says, they started irritating Jesus, saying, hey, if you really are the Messiah, why don't you go to the temple now and just... Declare, because the whole Jewish community has come right now to Jerusalem. This is the perfect time for you to declare who you are in front of everybody. And this is a perfect opportunity for everybody to know who you are. And Jesus said, no, my time has not yet come. And in fact, later, even when he went, he went in hiding in a way that nobody understood what he was doing and what he was speaking. And that's why when he would speak, he would speak in riddles and in ways that not everybody will understand. But today, you and I, we have the opportunity to speak it openly. We have the mandate. When Jesus was on the earth, he he told his disciples, don't go everywhere. Just go to the lost tribe of uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. Don't leave the boundaries of Israel. But after the resurrection, Jesus said, okay, now it's time. Now it's time for you to go start preparing for the kingdom's arrival. The dates and time the father will set. but what would you do? You would have to now start being my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Bible says, after saying this, verse 9, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. And, and all of a sudden, they could no longer see him. So check this out, okay? Now, they've just had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. They've just had an encounter with the glorified Jesus. They've just had an encounter with the Jesus who is, has who is been elevated uh, to, to be given a name that is above every other name. You remember, that's what happened when the Bible says, surrendered, he humbled himself to the point of death. So God the Father, he raised him up from the dead and he gave him a name that is above every other name. Now he's been glorified, he's been exalted. Now, as they are encountering this Jesus, all of a sudden, this Jesus becomes less and less visible to them. He becomes less and less accessible to them. He becomes less and less available for them. He becomes less and less tangible to them. Okay, read the next verse. It says, as they strained to see him, which means they were now striving. They they wanted one more encounter with this Jesus. They wanted to just experience a little bit more of this Jesus. They, They were straining, their eyes were straining to look at this Jesus. They, they, were, they were trying their best to make sure you know, that they, they, that they have they have this experience with Jesus one more time see these these guys they really loved Jesus there were five hundred of them not just the twelve disciples but there were five hundred of them who witnessed this particular experience, who had this particular encounter where Jesus became less and less accessible. They loved Jesus with all their hearts. They had followed Jesus. Some of them, even to the point of the cross, they, they followed Jesus and some of them went into the grave of Jesus, hoping that they can uh, embalm His body. They really loved Jesus, not just because He was a miracle worker. They loved Him even when He was dead. They were willing to go and, and, and express His, their love for Him. And that is why when Jesus was leaving, they didn't want to leave. They just they just wanted to linger a little longer. They just wanted to stay there and they just, they, they did everything possible. They strained their eyes to see him. Strained their eyes so they can have an experience and an encounter with this Jesus. But the Bible says, as they strained, as they struggled to look at, at Jesus, you know, and Jesus was rising up into heaven. And let's say that he was going up into the sky and there is a sun shining in the sky and you cannot look at the sun too far, too long. It says they they struggle. It says, suddenly, two white-robed men or angels stood among them. Two white-robed men. Now, we, we learned something about angels the other night, you know. Uh, that somebody came as a prophet who later became an angel who ultimately brought a revelation of who God is to them, right? It says to white robed men, they suddenly stood among them and they spoke to them. Men of Galilee, wait a minute, these guys are in Jerusalem or in on the Mount of Olives. How, how are they being addressed as men of Galilee? It's like somebody who is in Bangalore and, and God is speaking to them saying, hey, citizens of Mumbai. You know, that's exactly what's happening here because it is a prophetic word coming to them. There is a prophecy being spoken right now. And, he, and he's saying, men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Now, if you ask me, they were doing a good thing. They, they loved this Jesus so much. They didn't want to leave this room anymore. They, they, they just wanted to get one more glimpse of this beauty, this glory, this experience of this, this, this lover of their soul. But the prophets, they come and they say, why are you standing here? Didn't you get an instruction? Why are you still standing here? Why are you stuck to the revelation of Jesus you had? Yes, yes. Yes, this Jesus is beautiful, but why are you stuck with that? It is time that you now become quick, become intentional. I, I can understand if these angels come after, you know, 15, 20 days of Jesus leaving, and these guys are still not leaving the mountain, and then the angels come and say, guys, move on, guys, you know, there is work to be done. I can understand. It's, I, I don't know how long it would have taken for Jesus to take off, you know. Uh But it says, it looks like it was a gradual process because slowly the Bible says they could, you know, no longer see him. And suddenly these two white robed men comes and says, you know, guys, why are you still standing here? There is a work to be done. He says, Jesus, he has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from, the, from heaven in the same way. Somebody, the same way. same way. He will return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. And what was the last thing that he was speaking before he left? He was talking about the kingdom. He was saying, okay, the kingdom, the dates and the time it's not for you to decide. It is for the Father to decide. So don't worry about the kingdom. So don't worry about the dates and the times. But this is what you need to worry about. You need to worry about preaching the gospel. You need to worry about preparing the way. You need to worry about how and when, you know, you're going to evangelize this whole world that I want you to evangelize. And, and the Bible says with the, in the same way that he went up, he's going to come back down. So why are you standing here trying to only experience an encounter with Jesus, when there is a whole world out there who wants to, who wants to, who are going to witness that Jesus is coming back down. Please understand, I don't mean to be disrespectful about your pursuit of God's presence. We cannot, we cannot, we cannot represent this Jesus to the world if we don't first spend time with, in, with him, we cannot. But we cannot get so caught up with spending time with Jesus that we become disobedient people. Because the last thing that Jesus said before he left is not saying, okay, please don't do anything. Just, you know, just fellowship every Sunday. Just make sure that you keep your two hours every Sunday very sacred, very special, that you don't, uh, you know, travel on Sundays, that you don't, you know. Uh, pick up jobs. That, I mean, that's how we define our Christianity. You know, we. Oh, I, don't, I don't travel on Sundays. I don't work on Sundays. I don't uh, eat breakfast on Sundays. And uh, <laughs> I'll be in, in, in the house of God every Sunday. That's how we define our Christianity and our love for Jesus. Whereas Jesus said, hey, no, go into all the world. In fact, in the gospel of Mark, Jesus said, preach to all creation. So sometimes I take time to talk to my dog about Jesus. I, I pray with him. I, I, you know, I, I'd like to see him in heaven. I don't know how the, how, how, how the equation works. But, you know, it says, go baptize people from every nation. Baptize them. And, and so often, you know, I was talking to this guy who has left the faith. And, and, you know, he was telling me, hey, you're misinterpreting this completely. Jesus only told the apostles to baptize people. You and I, we don't have, to, that was only their job. And I'm like, uh, you know, there were about 500 people present here. Not all of them were apostles. Not all of them were preachers. Not all of them were full-time ministers. But Jesus told each and every one of them, you have to go and you have to be my witnesses. We are waiting for uh, somebody to ordain us as an evangelist. We are waiting for somebody to promote us, give us a stage. What are you doing from Monday to Saturday? How are you preparing for the coming of the Lord Jesus? What are you doing to usher his return back onto this earth? What are you doing to bring forth the kingdom of God upon the earth? Are you desiring saying, may your kingdom come? Are you realigning your life in such a way that his kingdom will in fact come and will come soon? You know, in this process, Apostle Peter said, there are many people who will scoff at this prophecy. You know, there were two two prophets who prophesied that he'll come, right? Says, many people, they will scoff, they will make fun of this and they will say, what happened to this promise that Jesus is coming again? What happened to this promise? Because many people will say, oh wait, Jesus said he's coming soon. Jesus said it is going to happen soon. Then where is this promise? Why has he not come yet? And, and, and many people will look at uh, you know, these uh, pastors or preachers who have given dates and he said, okay, 2011 he said he'll come. But he didn't come, so he's probably not coming. What they don't understand is that we were never expected. We were not supposed to predict the dates in the first place. Our job was not to predict when he will come. Our job was to preach the gospel, to be witnesses. And here it says hey, some people ask, why hasn't he come till now? From before the time of our ancestors, everything has remained the same. This is all a cycle. One day there will be a revival and then things will die out and then there will be another revival and then people will go back into doing what... Everything has remained the same since the world was created. There are people who will tell you signs and give you evidence from the world around you and saying, hey, nothing has changed. You know, don't... don't you know, when, when biblical prophets, uh, when they talk about the signs of the coming and they say earthquakes and all of these things, there are those who speak against it and they say, okay, wait, there are earthquakes that have been happening for thousands of years. There are wars that have been happening for thousands of years. There is all these conspiracy theories that have been happening. I mean, Jesus is not coming. You know, don't wait up. Don't waste your time. But then Apostle Peter, he he explains to us in verse 9, he says, no, don't, don't ever think that the Lord is being slow. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being, come on loudly, he is being patient. For whose sake? Not for their sake, not for the unbeliever's sake, but for whose sake? But for your sake. He is being patient. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. He wants everyone to experience salvation. He wants everyone. This is the will of God. There are some people who teach that it is God's will for some people to perish. No, it is not God's will for anybody to perish. It says in my Bible, I don't know how your translation says it, but in my Bible it says everyone. And everyone means everyone. Everyone includes every language group every people group every social strata st- every income group every every color of the skin everyone he wants this is god's will and and the bible says he's being patient for your sake so that you can go and get your get your job done so that when jesus comes you will not be found to be an immature bride you will not be found to be a bride that is just Still in diapers just trying to make it from one day to the next. You know, you know, children, they don't have any purpose in life. Eat, sleep, poop, repeat. Yeah? And guess what the church is doing? Exactly the same. We're saying, Okay, God, give me more. And then we, we just go back home and we hibernate for the next six days. Come back to church. Oh, I need more of your presence. For what? (laughs) What are you doing with God's presence? You're, You're wasting God's presence. The reason God gave you his presence is so that you can be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And the Bible says the reason Jesus is not coming is because God is being patient with you. Not with the people of the world. He's being patient with you for your sake because you're not doing your job on time. He's being patient with you. He's giving you one more day, one more week. The Bible talks about this parable, Jesus said, where the father, where, where, the, where the owner of the garden, he, he, he planted a, he, he gave job to this gardener to plant a vineyard. And the, and the owner, he waited for three years and the, and the gardener, he couldn't bring forth fruit. So finally the owner said, let's cut this off. But the gardener said, can you please give me one more year Will you be patient for one more year I will add extra nutrients I will give them extra instruction I'll make sure that pastor preaches about you know this this weekend I'll make sure that somebody would write about this on Facebook or, you know, Instagram, or I'll I'll make sure they have some reminders somewhere down so that they can be awakened, so that they they have what it takes to know what is their purpose here on earth. They, They don't get stuck with just being uh, with staring into heaven and staring at Jesus where they will go beyond that and they'll say, okay, it's time to get to business. It's time to get souls saved. It's time to baptize some people. It is time for nations to come to Jesus. It is time for entire families to experience salvation together. It is time for sinners to experience their savior. It is time for sick people to be healed. It is time for backsliders to return to their uh, prodigal father. It is time for those that are lost, the sheep that is lost, the coin that is lost to find their identity, to find their purpose in God. It is time. And who will make sure that this happens? You and I. We will make sure that this happens. The, the, there was a prophecy that was declare, declared in Acts chapter 1. That prophecy will in fact be fulfilled. Can I just, just for fun, can I just read it out for you? Are you guys ready for this? Man, this is so glorious. Go to Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. It says, this is John speaking. Are you ready to enjoy this? This is our hope. This is where we are headed to. And so John says, then I saw heaven open. There was a heaven that shut when Jesus went up. And the disciples, the apostles, the, the followers, they couldn't see this Jesus anymore. And the Bible says all of, a, all of a sudden there will come a day when the heavens will open. And this time, he's not coming as a child. This time, he's not coming to teach. This time, he's not coming to, with, with, with patience This time he's not coming the same, you know, with the same uh, way that the apostles viewed him. The apostles, they really tested Jesus' patience. But when he comes back, he's not coming on a donkey. The last time he rode on a donkey, but the next time he's coming on a horse. Read it with me, church. It says, then I saw heaven opened and a white horse, he was standing there. Its rider was named... Faithful and true. This is His name. is the name of Jesus. You see, when we, when we call Him Jesus, Jesus, what we don't understand is that the name of Jesus is the earthly name of Jesus. Is the name that we know Him on this side of eternity, on this realm. But that was not the name that He had from the beginning. We'll see that in the in the Scripture. What was the name that he had from the beginning? Who he was from the, from the very start? The Bible says that his, his, the, the rider, he was named faithful and he was named true. For he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. This is why he's coming. He's coming not to, uh, you know, be patient. This is the season of patience. This is the time of patience. This is when God is being patient with us, when God is being long-suffering with us so we can, we can do our job. But when he comes back, he's not coming back with patience, but he's coming back with a fierce desire to judge and to make war. He is going to wage and he's going to wage a righteous war. All wars that has been fought on the earth till now, as much as they would have had good desires they've never been righteous desires but there is only one person who is qualified to make a, a righteous war and it is jesus you know there are you know you know how the U- united states went into war in into afghanistan and iraq and all those places they may have had a good intention but if you see the whole outcome it was not a righteous intention you would see so much of unrighteousness in the whole process. But here we see a king, a, a ruler who is coming and he is going to wage. He's coming prepared to judge and he is coming to wage a righteous war. Somebody look at his eyes now, verse 12. It says, His eyes were like flames of fire. And on his head were how many crowns? Many crowns. How, how, how can you wear many crowns on one head? Wow. I, I don't have the time to go into the, the study of revelation. But, but will you do the diligence this year required for you to go and study? What are these many crowns? It says, on his head were many crowns. And a name was written on him that no one understood except himself. You know what, Jesus is going to remain a mystery that we will continue pursuing all through eternity, all through eternity. Even somebody who has experienced heaven, been to heaven, seen the whole uh, eternity pan out like Apostle John, even he did not understand this. And it says that even even the people around Jesus, even they didn't understand this name. They would have to pursue him for all of eternity to get an understanding of what this person is, who this Jesus is. And, And we will be doing this for all of eternity, guys. We will continue to love him. We'll continue to pursue him. We'll continue to get to know him. The Bible says in verse 13, he wore a robe that was dipped in blood. And you know why? Because he is still the lamb that was slain. He he is still the one that paid for my sins and your sins. He is still the one that cleanses you and me from our sins. And the Bible says that, and his title, he had a title. What was his title? He had a title that was the word of God. John would say this in, in the book of John. You know, chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is a man who had a revelation of who this Jesus is. See, all the others, they when they introduced Jesus, they introduced Jesus as the... as as the son of David, or as the son of Joseph, or as the son of Mary, but here was a John who had an encounter with the eternal Jesus, who was in the beginning and who will be at the end. And then he says, in the beginning, not Not that in the beginning was Jesus, but in the beginning was the word. His title in heaven was the word of God. Now, do you understand what it meant in creation when the father said, let there be light? It was the word of God that went forth and produced. We, 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 are, we are thinking about a boss who is sitting and telling things to happen. No, it was the word that proceeded from the Father. The Father, he is not the active creating force. It says in Colossians chapter 1, it was by and through and, and, and the person of Jesus that everything was created. And it was created for Jesus. And now when we go back to Genesis chapter 1 and the Bible says, and God said... What it means is the Father released Jesus to create light. The Father released Jesus to to create Adam and Eve. The Father released Jesus to set the heavens and the earth and everything in place. And that is the Jesus who was now seen standing when the heaven was opened. He was standing on a white Horse with a robe a that is dipped in blood and whose title was the word of God. The Bible says the armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen. They followed him on white horses. All the armies of heaven, all the angels, they followed him. It says from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. From his mouth came, not from his hand. We I mean I mean he doesn't have to use his hands. From his mouth came a sharp sword that will destroy nations. It says he will rule them with an iron rod, and he will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, the juice that flows from a wine press. And and John is seeing this Jesus who is going to come. Yeah. And he's saying this is, uh, this is beyond what we, we were expecting. Yeah. This Jesus, he's coming to actually uh, declare his uh, rule and reign over the entire planet. When he speaks, entire nations will be subdued. When he uses his hands to rule, it says that he will release the fierce wrath of God verse 16 and on his robe at his thigh was a tattoo it says and on his robe at his thigh was written this title king of all kings and the lord of all lords you know you know we can sometimes read that and think that he's writing about all the kings of the earth that he's writing about all the lords of the earth but he's not, they are not kings in the first place. Who are these kings and the lords? When, when the Bible says he's the king of all kings, is it talking about the Antichrist, in, under the Antichrist all these kings are there but Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm, I'm the bigger king, I'm your king. No, none of them have submitted themselves to this king. He's not Coming and saying, I am the Lord of all the lords. He's coming and saying, I am the king of all the kings and the Lord of all lords, meaning to say, Hey, there are these kings and lords on the earth that have prepared the earth for the coming of the King of Kings and the coming of the Lord of Lords. You know what, you know, you know how 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 we we envision ourselves? We envision ourselves like, you know, one of those uh, Child that needs to be rescued from the world and, you know, God will just put us safely somewhere in a bunker. But you know how Jesus looks at us? He looks at us as a king, as a Lord who will prepare this earth for his coming. And when he comes and he says, I am your king. I am the king of all the kings of the earth. I am the Lord of all the lords of this earth. What he's expecting you to do meanwhile is to exercise your dominion on the earth. He's expecting you to be diligent. He's expecting you to exercise your dominion on the earth and prepare this earth for the coming of your king. I want you to live this next season of your life looking at yourself as a king. He sees you as a king. Jesus, I mean, I mean, I, I want you to believe that he has given you dominion. Every king has a dominion. Every Lord has his estate or has his realm where he's a lord over. And I want you to become intentional to rule and reign in your kingdom and in your in your realm. Because because there is coming a king who is going to who 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 is coming to take over the the lordship and the kingship over all the kingdoms and over all the realms that these kings and the lords of the earth have worked hard for sometimes king and lord these are terms that we only give to God the bible says you know what he's the king of all kings he's the king of kings and the lord of lords so this morning it's it's almost like a nighting ceremony where I'm declaring all of you guys as lords. I'm declaring all of you as kings, and and I'm I'm de- I'm declaring that you will you I'm I'm speaking this into your heart into your life that this week you will have dominion, this week you will have authority, this week you will have to enforce certain things in place. You will have to shift. don't, Don't just be satisfied waiting here for the king to come. No, no, no. As much as you're the bride of Jesus, you're also kings and lords under this king. So I'm releasing you today to go and be witnesses, to go and be carriers of this grace, to be carriers of this glory, to be representing his face, to represent his hand. The world needs to know... who who is about to come. And how will they know? They will know by seeing your life. Oh, they will know when they see your hand. They will know when they see and witness your marriage. Wow. Can I just finish with this final instruction from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? This Apostle Paul saying, now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't have to write to you. I don't want to write to you because that's not what Jesus wanted us to do, okay? He says, verse 2, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly. Somebody say, unexpectedly. unexpectedly. Like a thief in the night. Verse 3, it says, when people are saying everything is peaceful and everything is secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin and then there will be no escape. Then the next verse says, when, but you aren't in the dark, but you aren't in, in hiding, you aren't Though among those people who are saying, oh, everything is fine, everything is peaceful, everything is secure. You're, you're not in the dark. You're not like the people of the world. He says, but you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. You won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. If you're waiting for Jesus' coming to surprise you, guess what? You're not one of the kings or the lords. You know that the kings and the lords, they will, they will not be surprised when their master comes. You're not, you, you and I, we will not be surprised. The Bible says that you aren't in the dark. You aren't living in darkness. Verse 5, read it out with me. For you are all the children of the light. And you're the children of the day, and we don't belong to darkness and night. No, 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 no. We 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 don't belong to the to to the the patterns of this world. We don't belong to darkness, we don't belong to the night. You are all children of the day, you are all children of the light. Where it says, so this is what you need to do. Kings, are you listening to me? Lords, are you listening to me? So this is what you need to do. So be on your guard. Don't, don't, don't take diligence lightly. Be on your guard and not asleep like the others. A diligent bride will be awake. A diligent bride will have oil in her lamp. A diligent bride will be active in warfare, establishing uh, the kingship and the lordship that God has given her wherever she goes. The Bible says, hey, be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert, stay alert, stay alert and and be clear-headed, which means don't let your head be, be consumed by... Things that 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 are of temporary value. I mean, we'll all have those those things that will want real estate in our brain, that will want real estate in our, you know, mind space. But God is saying, if you want to be exercising your dominion as kings and lords, then you need to be clear-headed. You cannot. At one point, Apostle Paul would write and say, hey, do not even engage with the affairs of normal life like civilians do. You've been birthed, you've been enrolled into the military service. You're soldiers of Jesus Christ, he says. So don't don't be filled, don't let your head be filled with the things that everybody else is filled with. Verse 7, night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. Night is the time when some people, what they do is they sleep. What others do is they get drunk, sometimes with wine, sometimes with television, sometimes with the pleasures of the world, whatever they are doing. They, some of them, they are living passive, inactive lives. And some of them, they are indulging in the things that are not, are not going to be beneficial for them. That are going to make sure they're going to miss the day. You know that those who drink all through the night, they'll miss the morning. Our church, nobody knows what it means. Praise God for that. I'm glad. It says, verse 8, but let us who live in the light, what should we do? Let the light clear your head. Let us who live in the light, let that light clear your brain space. And let us be protected by the armor of faith, and love, and, wear, and wearing as our helmet the conf- confidence that comes from our salvation. It says, for God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, and he does not want to pour out his anger on us. In other words, if you and I, if we don't live this kind of life, if where we are not clear-headed, where we are going to behave like the children of darkness, where we are going to be doing everything they are doing, then guess what will happen? We will also experience the same anger that God came to pour on the unbelievers. See, there are a lot of people who will teach you that once you're saved, you're safe. But Bible doesn't give you that option. You will see that the bride in, in, in Matthew chapter 25, the bride, the bridesmaids, the virgins that were waiting for the bridegroom to come, even they perished. It says they were thrown into outer darkness. So don't let anybody tell you that if you are unprepared, you will somehow make it into heaven just because you had an affiliation to Christianity as your religion. No, 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 that's not how it works. God's desire is for you to be saved. God's desire is for you to not be subjected to anger. God's heart is that he is patient towards you. God's heart is that he wants to express how much he loves you so you can go and show that love to others. But at the same time, God says, hey, this is, please, please, please prepare yourself. Be clear-headed. Don't live like the people of the night. Live like the children of light and live like the children of the day. Be clear-headed. Verse 10, Christ died for us. Why? So that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him. How long is forever? Forever is forever. Whether we are dead or we are alive. You know, Paul, the reason he's saying dead or alive is because he wants to emphasize that the timing is not in your hands. Yeah. That his coming, the timing of his coming, is not. But the work that needs to be done, the preparation that needs to be done, that is in your hands. And so often we'll, we'll get stuck in all the details that we can learn from the book of Revelation and Matthew 4 and Daniel. I mean, all of that is wonderful. I love doing that myself. But, but we get lost in the details and uh, all that is going to happen when the Antichrist comes. But when God is saying, you need to be clear-headed, are you being clear-headed in the first place? Are you on guard all the time? Are you ready to uh, witness? Are you ready to preach about this? Are you exercising dominion in, your, in, in the world God has given you? Are you being a lord in the realm that the Lord has given you? That is the real question you need to ask, not when he is coming. He says, whether you are dead or you're alive, we will, be, we will all automatically become alive when he returns. We'll talk about that next week. It says, so this is what I want you to do. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you already are doing. So let me tell you this. Next, today and every week of this year when you come to church, I want you to ask this question to your neighbor saying, how many people did you share the gospel to today? This week, last week. Instead of, you know, I mean like, I mean, last week, last year was a year when, when we had to be rooted in God's voice, where we had to be rooted in His presence. So, so we asked the question, how many hours did you pray? Or how, have you been reading your Bible properly? But this year, we're going to ask a different question. This year, I'm going to ask you a question. How many people got baptized because of your life this whole year? How many people did you talk about Jesus to? Hey, if we are not doing that right, we are not preparing for the Lord's return. If you're just doing this but not that, then we are not ready for him to return. Come on, close your eyes. Lift your hands and your hearts to the Lord. And say, Lord Jesus, let your kingdom come. As a church, as a community, we pray that your kingdom will come. As a church, we pray that you will prepare us for the coming of the kingdom. As a church, we pray that you will help us to be witnesses of this kingdom in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. As a church, we pray that we will be anticipating the coming of the true and the faithful one. As a church, we desire to be the to be the kings and the lords under your kingship and under your lordship. Ha. As a church, we desire to be the children of the light, to be the children of the day. So right now, we, we, we disconnect ourselves from the work of darkness. No, we will not be found drunk. No, we will not be found asleep. No, we will not be found inactive or passive. No, we, we will be found clear-headed and ready and, and, and celebrating. We will not be surprised when Jesus comes. <laughs> no, we will be standing with a lamp, with oil in our lamp, ready to welcome him in. Behold, he comes. Riding on the cloud, shining like the sun, at the trumpet call, so lift your voice. It's the ear of jubilee, and out of Zion's hill, salvation. Behold, He comes. Riding on the clouds, shining like the sun at the trumpet call, so lift your voice is the ear of Jubilee and out of Zion's. Salvation. We hope this message blessed your spirit. Let us prepare in anticipation for the coming of Jesus. If you are here for the first time, please log into dreamingrevival.com forward slash welcome to connect with us. We wish you a week ahead filled with diligence.